Chapter Five of Revolted Woman by Charles George Harper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: Domestic Strife. Married life is one long series of compromises, when indeed it is not a state of open warfare. The mere man must be a little less than just and more than a little selfish who would assure himself of retaining his authority over the more or less pleasing partner of his heart for woman be she never so sweet and gracious is always greedy of power and domination and though with sweet nelly your heart's delight the wish to rule may be possibly but a harmless and altogether amiable eccentricity and your abandonment to her humours the wearing of golden and purely ornamental fetters yet in process of time your benevolent despot may become more despotic and less benevolent and your chains transmuted to more sordid guise but with imperious julia or haughty georgina tis another matter from the first your initial complaisance spells infirmity of purpose and having once abdicated your authority you are undone for always and may for ever tarry in attendance upon the good lady's whims and ways while acquaintances sit in the seat of the scorner and opine that not you but the woman wears the breeches oh a most miserable and ineffectual of men you who have the will-power of a jellyfish and the courage of a cockroach the better half is not yourself your partner has achieved her own betterment and your compensation is all to seek for the worsement that remains your portion life is compact of compromise but keep it outside the home and rule absolute beneath your roof-tree then shall one have satisfaction and the other be convinced of orthodoxy in observing apostolic precepts compromise as captain de valabrec found is pleasing to neither side a friend discovered him dressing for dinner at an unusual hour and in reply to the friend's inquiry he said it suits my wife to dine at four and it is convenient for me to dine at six and so we sit down to table at five which suits neither of us dual control in fact works smoothly neither socially nor politically and though there may be wisdom in a multitude of counsellors folly abides in divided authority everywhere and nowhere more certainly than in domestic matters the new women female gendarmes censors of morals and would-be domestic tyrants are quite alive to these objections against the division of authority but their agreement goes no further woman ought to be and shall be the head of the family they say and no statement is too rash for woman on the warpath to make or subscribe woman has ever been a religious animal and even the modern woman differs little from her forebears in this respect but do just remind her of st paul's views on the silence and subjection of her sex and you learn that the militant saint was an ass no less 
and yet paul remains the patron saint of the foremost diocese in christendom see to it o new woman disestablish him and erect some more complacent saint in his stead certainly his opinions and teaching flout the feminine ego footnote wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church therefore as the church is subject unto christ so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything ephesians verses twenty two to twenty four wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the lord colossians chapter three verse eighteen let the woman learn in silence with all subjection but i suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence one timothy chapter two verses eleven and twelve but i would have you know that the head of every man is christ and the head of the woman is the man every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoureth her head for a man indeed ought not to cover his head forasmuch as he is the image and glory of god but the woman is the glory of the man for the man is not of the woman but the woman of the man neither was the man created for the woman but the woman for the man one corinthians chapter eleven verses three five seven to nine let your women keep silence in the churches for it is not permitted unto them to speak but they are commanded to be under obedience one corinthians chapter fourteen verse thirty four end footnote no sensible woman wrote one of the most sensible of her sex lady jeune objects to acknowledging what is the fact that she is physically and mentally inferior to man the position of woman has always been and will be a subject one the man has always been and will continue to be the head of the family and the position of the woman to my mind is perfectly summed up in the words her desire shall be to her husband and he shall rule over her for women to claim supremacy comes somewhat too late in the day to be effectual there is a very pretty paradox concealed in the fact that their numbers constitute their weakness for numerical preponderance is usually found to be an increase of strength but the converse is the case where women are concerned a wife may be had for the mere asking by any man so great is the excess of women and still so widespread the old-fashioned and right-minded notion that marriage rounds off and completes a woman's life scarce a man so ill-formed in mind or body or so ill-found in worldly estate but could become a benedict on the morrow and he chose man's supremacy must infallibly last while he remains in a minority he is already perfectly conscious that there are not enough of him to go round and that this fact puts a premium upon his sex and he can afford to smile at the women who have theories 
and air them so persistently for himself there is no occasion to protest so loudly while nature continues to endow him with a larger quantity and a superior quality of brains gives him greater bodily strength and best boon of all keeps him in a minority and yet although women are inferior to men in such important matters as intellect and strength the henpecked husband has ever been common and the wearing of the breeches by the wife has been a phrase time out of mind to denote she who with furious blows and loud-tongued noise doth tempests in her quiet household raise there is a proverbial phrase to signify that the wife is master in the household by which it is intimated that she wears the breeches the phrase is it must be confessed an odd one and is only half understood by modern explanations but in medieval story we learn how she first put in her claim to wear this particular article of dress how it was first disputed and contested how she was at times defeated but how as a general rule the claim was enforced there was a french poet of the thirteenth century hugues Piancella, two of whose faibleaux or metrical tales entitled the faibleaux d'estomie and the faibleaux de sirin et de damanieuse are preserved in manuscript and have been printed in the collection of barbazan the second of these relates some of the adventures of a medieval couple whose household was not the best regulated in the world the name of the heroine of this story ennuise is simply an old form of the french word ennuyeuse and certainly damenuse was sufficiently ennuyeuse to her lord and husband Siran, her husband was it appears a maker of cots and mantles and we should judge also by the point on which the quarrel turned that he was partial to a good dinner damenuse was of that disagreeable temper that whenever siran told her of some particularly nice thing which he wished her to buy for his meal she bought instead something which she knew was disagreeable to him if he ordered boiled meat she invariably roasted it and further contrived that it should be so covered with cinders and ashes that he could not eat it this observes mr wright would show that people in the middle ages except perhaps professional cooks were very unapt at roasting meat this state of things had gone on for some time when one day siran gave orders to his wife to buy him fish for his dinner the disobedient wife instead of buying fish provided nothing for his meal but a dish of spinach telling him falsely that all the fish stank this led to a violent quarrel in which after some fierce wrangling especially on the part of the lady siran proposes to decide their difference in a novel manner early in the morning he said i will take off my breeches and lay them down in the middle of the court and the one who can win them shall be acknowledged to be master or mistress of the house le matinee sans contredire voudrait m'ébrer des chaussiers étant moins nostre court couchière et qui conquiert les poires par bonne raison monstera qu'il est si rude du nostre 
Damanieuse accepted the challenge with eagerness, and each prepared for the struggle. After due preparation, two neighbours, friend Simon and Damopé, having been called in as witnesses, and the breeches, the object of dispute, having been placed on the pavement of the court, the battle began, with some slight parody on the formalities of the judicial combat. The first blow was given by the dam, who was so eager for the fray that she struck her husband before he had put himself on his guard, and the war of tongues, in which at least Damanieuse had the best of it, went on at the same time as the other battle. Sire An ventured a slight expostulation on her eagerness for the fray, in answer to which she only threw in his teeth a fierce defiance to do his worst. Provoked at this, Sire An struck at her, and hit her over the eyebrows so effectively that the skin was discoloured, and overconfident in the effect of this first blow, he began rather too soon to exult over his wife's defeat. But Demenuse was less disconcerted than he expected, and recovering quickly from the effect of the blow, she turned upon him and struck him on the same part of his face with such force that she nearly knocked him over the sheepfold. Demenuse, in her turn, now sneered over him, and while he was recovering from his confusion, her eyes fell upon the object of contention, and she rushed to it and laid her hands upon it to carry it away. This movement roused Sirhan, who instantly seized another part of the article of his dress, of which he was thus in danger of being deprived, and began a struggle for possession, in which the said article underwent considerable dilapidation, and fragments of it were scattered about the court. In the midst of this struggle the actual fight recommenced, by the husband giving his wife so heavy a blow on the teeth that her mouth was filled with blood. The effect was such that Sirhan already reckoned on the victory, and proclaimed himself lord of the breeches. Un fier sa femme en mille dont elle coupe, que la bouche de don a tout empli de sonnet. Tienor, dit Sirhan, un je cuis que je t'ai bien atteinte, orteje de Dieu color teinte, j'aurais les brettes de voix. But the immediate effect on Damanieuse was only to render her more desperate. She quitted her hold on the disputed garment, and fell upon her husband with such a shower of blows that he hardly knew which way to turn. She was thus, however, unconsciously exhausting herself, and Sirhan soon recovered. The battle now became fiercer than ever, and the lady seemed to be gaining the upper hand, when Sirhan gave her a skilful blow in the ribs, which nearly broke one of them, and considerably checked her ardour. Friend Simon here interposed, with the praiseworthy aim of restoring peace, before further harm might be done, but in vain, for the lady was only rendered more obstinate by her mishap, and he agreed that it was useless to interfere before one had got a more decided advantage over the other. The fight, therefore, went on, the two combatants having now seized each other by the hair of the head, a mode of combat in which the advantages were rather on the side of the male. At this moment one of the judges, Demopé, sympathizing too much with Demenuse, 
ventured some words of encouragement which drew upon her a severe rebuke from her colleague simon who intimated that if she interfered again there might be two pairs of combatants instead of one meanwhile damanieuse was becoming exhausted and was evidently getting the worst of the contest until at length staggering from a vigorous push she fell back into a large basket which lay behind her Siron stood over her exultingly and simon as umpire pronounced him victorious he thereupon took possession of the disputed article of raymond and again invested himself with it while the lady accepted faithfully the conditions imposed upon her and we are assured by the poet that she was a good and obedient wife during the rest of her life in this story which affords a curious picture of medieval life we learn the origin of the proverb relating to the possession and the wearing of the breeches hugues piancella concludes his fablo by recommending every man who has a disobedient wife to treat her in the same manner and medieval husbands appear to have followed his advice without fear of laws against the ill-treatment of women van mecken a flemish artist who flourished in the fifteenth century has left a record of domestic strife in an engraving which shows the wife as victor in the struggle for the breeches and an ungenerous victor she would seem to have been judging from the picture where she is seen engaged at once in putting on the hard-won garments and striking her husband on the head with a distaff he poor fellow is following under compulsion some merely feminine occupation and seems to find it uncongenial in germany during medieval times domestic differences were settled by judicial duels between man and wife and a regular code for their proper conduct was observed the woman must be so prepared so the instructions run that a sleeve of her chemise extend a small l beyond her hand like a little sack there indeed is put a stone weighing three pounds and she has nothing else but her chemise and that is bound together between the legs with a lace then the man makes himself ready in the pit over against his wife he is buried therein up to the girdle and one hand is bound at the elbow to the side the seventeenth century seems to have been prolific of domestic broils for an unusual number of pamphlets exist which have as their subject the attempts of women to obtain the upper hand over their husbands one there is called women's figaries which is especially bitter a spirited woodcut on the cover shows a man and woman struggling for a pair of breeches which certainly would be no gain to either of them except as a trophy of victory so immensely large are they the woman wields a ladle the man brandishes something that may be either a sword or a cudgel and both seem in deadly earnest the contents of this counterblast to women's efforts are extravagant and amusing but you shall judge for yourself the proverb says there is no wit like the woman's wit especially in matters of mischief their natures being more prone to evil than good for being made of a knobby crooked rib 
they contain something in their manners and dispositions of the matter and form of which they were created as may be instanced in several examples of which we shall in this sheet of paper give you some of them at a town called stocking pelham in the county of england not long ago there happened a terrible fray betwixt the man of the house of one side and his wife and his maid on the other side and though two to one be great odds at football yet by the strength of his arm and a good crab-tree cudgel they felt by their bruised sides that he had gotten the victory now though the man's name was william yet the wife for a great while did want her will i mean how to be revenged upon him until at last she effected by policy what she could not compass by strength for he putting his head out of a window that had neither glass nor lettuce belonging to it but only a riding shutter he having no eyes behind him she nimbly stepped to the shutter and ran it up close to his neck so that he was locked fast as in a pillory where whilst the one kept him in the other with a great washing-beetle belaboured his body as your seamen do stockfish the maid-servant a strong docked wench with both her hands laying on and at every blow saying remember how you beat my dame now look for to be served the same the poor man to be rid of his tormentors was glad to pray crave and entreat and promise whatsoever they would have him vowing never after to use crab-tree cudgel again nor so much as to eat of mustard if it were made of verjuice out of detestation to crabs and crab-trees thus women you may learn a ready way to make resisting husbands to obey although to baste your sides their fingers itches you may by policy obtain the breeches it is in the memory of man since in blackfriars a tailor and his wife fell out about superiority the tailor fretted and his wife scolded whereupon this ninth part of a man challenged her out into the street to try the conquest having provided broomstaves there for that purpose being both entered the lists the woman thought it best policy to begin first and catching up a ram's horn which lay at her foot she threw it at her husband which by chance lighted on his forehead at the great end and stuck there as fast as ever it grew upon the ram's head which having done she ran in at the door again the tailor being mad to be served so went to run after her but making more haste than good speed he ran his horn into the staple of the door where he was so entangled by his brow antlers that he could stir no further which the woman perceiving she got up one of the broomstaves and so belaboured poor pilgarlic that in great humility he asked her forgiveness and resigned the right of the breeches up to her twas in the sound of clerkenwell bells and therefore of long-standing that a plasterer had gotten a most damnable scold to his wife who used to fetch him from the alehouse one night coming home three-quarters drunk she acted the part of xantippe 
and made the house to ring with her scolding this music was so untunable in her husband's ears that getting a cudgel in his hands he fell to belabouring her until he made her to ask him for forgiveness and promise never to scold so again having thus as he thought got an absolute conquest over her tongue he went quietly to bed where he slept soundly whilst she lay awake studying of mischief in the morning before he awaked she examined his pockets for money the common tricks of a good many women but found nothing in them save only some lath nails these did she take and set upright all about the room which done she gets a pail of water in her hands and calling aloud commanded him to rise which he refused to do whereupon she throws the pail of water upon the bed this so vexed him that starting suddenly up he went to run after her when his naked feet lighting upon the lath nails he was forced to slacken his pursuit being so mortified with them that he could neither stand nor walk whereupon his wife taking the same cudgel he had beaten her withal the night before told him that what was sauce for a goose was sauce for a gander and so be rib roasted him that with great penitency he now asked her forgiveness resigning the whole right and title of the breeches unto her and that though he was superior to her in strength yet he was inferior to her in policy when as that women do themselves apply to mischief they perform it readily nothing will serve them when their fingers itches until such time they have attained the breeches be it to scold to brangle scratch or fight their hands are heavy though their tails are light in that part of albion which is called veal country there formerly lived a merry saddler who had gotten a scolding carrion to wife that would frequent the alehouse almost every day from which he was forced to fetch her home at night where he would bestow some rib-roast upon her to give her a breathing that she might not grow foggy with drinking so much ale however the woman did not take it so kindly but that she vowed to be revenged upon him for it and to put her determination into practice one day she asked two of her boon companions to get her husband to the alehouse and make him drunk which they performed according to her desire leading him home about ten o'clock at night and placing him in a chair with a good fire before him where he presently fell fast asleep now had the woman a fit opportunity to put her design into practice when pulling out his feet towards the fire and the fire so near towards them as it almost touched them she went to bed when quickly his shoes began to fry and his feet were mortified with the burning so that he made a most sad dolorous noise she knowing the fish was caught that she had laid wait for went down with a good ashen wand in her hand you ill-conditioned slave quoth she must you come home drunk and make such a noise that one cannot rest in quiet for you 
i will make you to roar for something and thereupon fell on him with as much fury as a pirate doth on a merchant's bark the poor saddler was forced to endure all for he could not help himself but desiring her to be merciful he resigned up the breeches to her she triumphing in her double conquest first paying him who used to pay her and secondly bringing him into that condition that for three quarters of a year afterwards he did not stir out of doors to fetch her from the alehouse women like pismires have their sting and several ways to pass their ends do bring their tongues are nimble nor their hands crazy although to work each limb they have is lazy many other examples might we instance of the imperiousness of women and what stratagems they have invented for gaining the riches from their husbands but these i think may suffice for one single sheet of paper and indeed as many as can well be afforded for four farthings but least any one should complain of a hard pennyworth to make him amends i will afford him a song into the bargain the song when women that they do meet together their tongues do run all sorts of weather their noses are short and their tongues they are long and tittle tittle tattle is all their song now that women like the world do grow worse and worse i have read in a very learned author viz poor robin's almanac how that about two hundred and fifty years ago as near as he could remember there was a great sickness almost throughout the whole world wherein there died forty-five millions eight hundred seventy-three thousand six hundred and ninety-two good women and of bad women only three hundred forty and four by reason whereof there hath been such a scarcity of good women ever since the whole breed of them being almost utterly extinct and so an end but the author of this pamphlet is not alone in his satires of domestic infelicity here you shall see in the woman to the plough how these things struck our forebears he has good ideas this seventeenth-century versifier but his gifts in the matter of rhyme and rhythm are all too slight the woman to the plough and the man to the hen-roost or a fine way to cure a cot queen both men and women listen well a merry jest i will you tell betwixt a good man and his wife who fell the other day at strife he chid her for her huswivery and she found fault as well as he he says sith you and i cannot agree let's change our work content quoth she my wheel and distaff here take thou and i will drive the cart and plough this was concluded twixt them both to cart and plough the good wife goeth the good man he at home doth tarry to see that nothing doth miscarry an apron he before him put judge was not this a handsome slut 
he fleets the milk he makes the cheese he gropes the hens the ducks and geese he brews and bakes as well's he can but not as it should be done poor man as he did make his cheese one day two pigs their bellies broke with whey nothing that he in hand did take did come to good once he did bake and burnt the bread as black as a stock another time he went to rock the cradle and threw the child o'er the floor and broke his nose and hurt it sore he went to milk one evening tied a skittish cow on the wrong side his pail was full of milk god wot she kicked and spilt it every jot besides she hit him with a blow on the face which was scant well in six weeks space thus was he served and yet to dwell on more misfortunes that befell before his apron he'd leave off though all his neighbours did him scoff now list and mark one pretty jest twill make you laugh above the rest as he to churn his butter went one morning with a good intent the cot queen fool did surely dream for he had quite forgot the cream he churned all day with all his might and yet he could get no butter at night twere strange indeed for me to utter that without cream he could make butter now having showed his huswivery who did all things thus untowardly unto the good wife i'll turn my rhyme and tell you how she spent her time she used to drive the cart and plough but do twell she knew not how she made so many banks i the ground he'd been better have given five pound that she had never ta'en in hand so sorely she did spoil the land as she did go to sow likewise she made a feast for crows and pies she threw away a handful at a place and left all bare another space at the harrow she could not rule the mare but bid one land and left two bare and shortly after well a day she came home with a load of hay she overthrew it nay and worse she broke the cart and killed a horse the good man that time had ill luck he let in the sow and killed a duck and being grieved at his heart for loss on's duck his horse and cart the many hurts on both sides done his eyes did with salt water run then now quoth he full well i see the wheels for her the ploughs for me i thee entreat quoth he good wife to take my charge and all my life i'll never meddle with huswivery more the good wife she was well content and about her huswivery she went he to hedging and to ditching reaping mowing lading pitching and let us hope that like the prince and princess in the fairy tale they lived happily ever afterwards but i have my doubts End of chapter 5